Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Uh, Genesis 22 is our call to confession, and we're going to read the account of Abraham uh, tested sacrificing Isaac. Hear God's word. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Then Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Thus far the reading of God's word. God tests Abraham here, it says in the first verse, to see if he will give up his son if God asks. Now, it isn't that God didn't know, right? God knows all things. God puts Abraham through this to show Abraham his own faith. When God puts you through a trial like this, your child's life or her soul or his health, your job, family conflict, whatever the trial is, When God puts you through such a thing, how often don't we complain, tell God we don't deserve this, it's all their fault? We often get bitter instead of getting better. So God calls us today to confess the ways that we have handled our trials selfishly instead of seeing his loving hand in them to strengthen our faith. This reminds us to confess our sins. So let's kneel if you're able and I'll pray our prayer of confession this morning. Pray before we read. 
Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this word. We thank you that uh, you've revealed yourself to us in, uh, in such a rich way, uh, both in your creation, in our conscience, uh, and here in this word. We thank you that uh, you have given us a reliable source to know you. Help us uh, as we consider it today uh, that your spirit would be active, drawing us to your son. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Well, as we consider uh, this text from 1 Peter, we're starting at verse 6 today. And you see in the, the bulletin, the outline that I've got there, uh, rejoicing in real trials. That's really a summary of what's going on here. The, the, the theme that we have in these verses. Uh, rejoice, you rejoice in all of this. Uh, in this is the, the first uh, couple of words there in verse 6. And what's that talking about in this? In what? Well, it's talking about what we began reading, uh, this new living hope that we've been begotten into. Uh, that's uh, the reason that we are rejoicing. There's an enduring joy there that's not based on circumstance, uh, but is, is based in our uh, new birth in Christ. And so we're rejoicing, uh, Peter begins by saying, uh, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And that's all of verse 6. So we're rejoicing, but we're rejoicing uh, amidst real trials. Uh, I think it was Dickens who said at the beginning of one of his books, it's the best of times, it was the worst of times. It's, it's similar to that, right? We're rejoicing uh, in an amazing way at a most awesome thing that God has done for us. And we are also going through intense trials and difficulties. And these, these trials, I want to consider several things that Peter says about them here. He says first that they're real. <laughs> they're real. Uh, and um, one of the uh, writers I re uh, studied on this this week said that the, part of the trials going on are persecutions. And like we prayed for the early rain church today, we've, uh, I've read some of, about them on social media this uh, Christian church in China that's being harassed and persecuted uh, simply for being uh, a Christian church and, and the, the government is hostile to that. That's a real trial and there, it's an unjust thing that's happening and uh, sometimes as Americans we can get uh, a bit um, more easily frustrated when our rights are violated and that's 
uh, that's a natural thing. That these are rights that are due to us, right, endowed by our Creator, uh, that, that the state should not be messing with. And so you do, we do have real trials like that. Uh, their sufferings, their afflictions were unjust. It shouldn't be happening, and yet God is allowing it to happen. And these trials, not only are they real, they can last a good while, right? The, the, Peter does say there in verse 6, for a little while, right? Uh, but he does, he's not meaning, don't worry, you're only going to have trials that last a day at the most. It, it's like the sitcoms you watch, right? It'll all get resolved in 30 minutes and you'll be fine. That's not what he means. Uh, he's comparing in a little while to the, the vast stretch of eternity in which we will be in glory with the Lord, right? So uh, in the meanwhile, here on earth, these trials can last a good while, years and years sometimes. Think of Joseph who we read about, he's, he's sold into slavery, betrayed by his brothers, ripped away from his family, sent, sent several countries away, and doesn't see his family again for decades. He had trials that lasted years and years. So our trials are real, they can last a while. And another word that Peter uses here is various, right? We're, we were grieved by various trials. Tri trials can take various forms. A stubborn child, a difficult boss, a culture that's hostile to God's ways, extended family that's not walking with the Lord. There are several uh, ways in which uh, we are put to the test, so to speak. So our trials are real. They can last a while. There's all sorts of them. Uh, but then on to the next point, they're temporary. Let's go back to that one. They can last a good while, yes, but they are temporary. Uh, now for a little while, you are grieved by trials. So the hope that Peter talked about back in verse 3 points beyond those trials. There's an inheritance kept in heaven for us, waiting for us there, ready for us. And so until we get there, now for a little while we'll have trials. So it's temporary, for a brief time, for a little while is the phrase there. A Christian comedian I like, I think I've told this story before, he says his favorite phrase in the Bible is, it came to pass. Because that means whatever badness happens to you, it's going to pass. It's going to come, but then it's going to pass. So it came to pass can be a comforting phrase in the Bible. So when you're in the midst of trouble, like these, uh, those who are reading this letter are, were, uh, then we need perspective. We need to be able to look beyond. And that's uh, very important. Uh, some of you know the movie The Princess Bride. That's a favorite movie of mine, uh, and there's a, it's an intense moment right in the middle of it, which is really awful, actually, and it's where the, the princess is complaining, and Wesley, he, he uh, brings her up short, and he says, life is pain. Anyone who says otherwise is selling something. It's a really awful lie, actually, because there's way more to life than pain, and, and it's a very cynical thing to say, right? Wesley didn't know God. He didn't know the hope that we have in Christ. And I'm not selling Jesus. He's free. Right? So Princess Bride's a great movie, but that's an awful line. So uh, life is not just pain. Pain is certainly a part of life, right, for the present. But it will pass. It will pass. We, we can't imagine often uh, that our trials are temporary. We often... Um, believe that, that line that life is just about one pain after another. 
We, we can't imagine work without frustration. We can't imagine parenting without sin. But that doesn't mean it isn't possible. God's Word tells us that the span of our life is 70, maybe 80 years. And we get really impressed when people live to be 90 or 100, right? But come on, when we've been there 10,000 years, we've no less days to go than we did on day one. That's why Peter can say, now for a little while, you have trouble. We marked a birthday in our family this last week. And as you get older, you start to focus on how many less days you have. <laughs> when you're younger, you're always looking ahead to being older, right? But no, life here is fleeting. And so are the trials that go with it. Uh, Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 4. We read that. Let me turn back there once more and uh, show you the same thing going on, pointing out the temporariness of the trials. Verse 17 of chapter 4. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. There's a lot packed into that, but just take the time references, right? Momentary affliction, eternal glory. That's the contrast. So uh, our trials are real, uh, but they are temporary in the grand scheme of things. That's part of Peter's point. Uh, and so third, uh, we need to see God's goodness in purposeful trials. That's verse 7. The tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise. And Peter says in the middle of that a little parenthesis, your faith is more precious than gold, which perishes though it's tested by fire. So hope is, is strengthened by suffering. Hope and faith are strengthened, refined by suffering. Uh, one uh, author put it this way. He said that when we're in the middle of troubles, very often what God's doing is, is he's burning away our self-confidence. Our self-confidence has to be refined like dross, uh, like an impurity in a metal has to be burned away. So trials have a purpose. Uh, they refine us. They train us. Uh, they strengthen our faith. At this time of year is when high school and college athletes, football players, go out and they're uh, running two-a-days. I heard about this when, back when I was in high school. And they, they go through the grueling training, uh, practice, drills, uh, everything. And then, then they um, finish it all up. And then they come back again later and do it all over again a second time. Two-a-days. It's exhausting. It's grueling. Uh, but it, it's, it's training them and strengthening them uh, to be better athletes on the field. Uh, that's the, the idea. The trial has a purpose. Our faith, and that, this um, parenthesis in the middle of verse 7 is fascinating. But the more I studied that, the more uh, it really dawned on me more and more. Our faith is more valuable to God than gold. Obviously to God, right? But notice how valuable to God our faith is. So he purposely strengthens it. And, and there's, there's, you know, gold is, we, we take as kind of a stand-in for the, some of the most valuable things there are in life, right? Take anything that you value most in life. God values your faith more. And so God may take away some of those other things that you value to strengthen your faith. That's what Peter is saying here. Trials have a purpose. Genesis 22 is a good example where God tests Abraham and he tells him to sacrifice his son Isaac. 
that, that's an amazing, uh, awful kind of trial. But God puts us through that because he so values our faith. James uh, tells us just a couple of pages back in Scripture, he tells us that God doesn't test us. That is, God doesn't try to get us to sin is what that means, right? But God does give us challenges to overcome that draw us to him. So since God values our faith more than our wealth or comfort or health, there's going to be times he takes those away to strengthen our faith. And God values our faith not just more than trivial things, right? A a pastor friend of mine gets COVID and he's hospitalized. A a child gets cancer or walks away from the faith or dies in infancy. These these are traumatic events uh, and they tend to dominate our lives. But God sends them for a yet greater purpose, to refine our faith, to purify it, so it results in praise and glory and honor before Jesus. Uh, Again, James says the same thing uh, at the beginning of his letter that Peter says at the beginning of his. Uh, James 1 verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Same, Same idea. So God's sending us trials. He he uses, here's the way one author puts it, he uses the iniquitous afflictions wrought by human hostility for the ultimate well-being of his children. So even when when you've got a a persecuted congregation with a, a state that's bearing down on them, God's doing that, and he's using that. Uh, There's no trial so awful and intense that we would say, God can't be part of that. God wouldn't be involved in that. No, God is testing and refining our faith. So uh, last point then is the the relief and the reward that are expected in the end. So verses 8 and 9. All all that's one sentence, by the way, 6 and 7, everything we just covered. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. You're grieved by various troubles. Uh, the, the tested genuineness of your faith uh, will be found to result in praise. And that's where we are now. This, this um, genuineness of your faith will, will result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus. So now he's starting to look to the end. And again, he's already been putting us in that kind of perspective. You, you've got trouble now for a little while. A little while meaning your whole life long, maybe. But that's a little while compared to eternity, is the idea. Uh, When we look to the end, the revelation of Jesus, we see differently. Our our suffering is for his glory. Uh, We're going to be vindicated and rewarded. We're going to share in Christ's glory to an extent, uh, even though now we suffer and struggle for him. I read this week of the Huguenots in the uh, Reformation. Louis XIV banned Protestant worship. Uh, But the Huguenots uh, continued. Uh, The Huguenots were often uh, caught, imprisoned. Uh, Often they were sent to the galleys, uh, and they rode until the day of their death. Uh, And and that was uh, the Huguenots in France. There's a memorial up today in France. Uh, One of their slogans was this, My chains are the chains of Christ's love. That is astounding to think about. My chain, the chains that I'm chained to this galley that's going to drag me to the bottom if it sinks. These chains that, that I could easily uh, 
rage against because I should be free and I, this has been done unjustly to me. Or even just be angry at, at being chained like that. But the Huguenots said, no, my chains, these chains are the chains of Christ's love. That's so foreign to us. But that's, that can be said. We can say that if we are remembering that Christ is at work in our trials and we expect relief and reward at the end. So Peter says in verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And we're talk, you're just talking here about the Huguenots with Christ's love, right? That's, that's what this is all about. Uh, we love Jesus Christ, and because of that, our faith looks to the end. When, when, you, uh, when a military spouse deploys for months on end, uh, there's, there's a, a d- distance, a separation there. But the love between the the husband and wife is such that they long for that day to come when they will return. And that's just months. But we uh, have the same kind of experience, uh, longing for the day when Jesus Christ returns. We haven't seen Jesus. Peter had. And so Peter's making that contrast. Peter was with Jesus for several years. Uh, And now he's writing to these people who've never seen Jesus. And he says, you haven't seen him. It, I think it was kind of awe-inspiring to Peter, writing to these people. You people have never even seen him, and you love him. And he, that's, that's an amazing thing, and it's true for us as well. We do not see him, yet we believe in him. This was uh, what Jesus said to Thomas. Thomas believed because he saw. And Jesus says, that's going to be flipped around for a lot of people from now on. People aren't going to see me, but blessed are they uh, believing though they haven't seen. So, uh, so we haven't seen Jesus, and yet we love him. Uh, and one writer also said, regarding this passage, she said, even with the best rationale for rejoicing, we often need a gladdening power to bear us through. Right? We can have it explained to us. Hey, you, you can rejoice. You've got all these great things. Right? And it's true. But, but we need a gladdening power to bear us through. I like that phrase. And that power is the love of Christ. And it's love for Christ. That's what keeps us going. That's what keeps that military spouse waiting, uh, hoping in love. Uh, Napoleon, uh, I, I enjoy Napoleon quotes just for his ego for one thing. But um, Napoleon said something very similar. Uh, astounding that Napoleon would write this. He says, An extraordinary power of influencing and commanding men has been given to Alexander, Charlemagne, and myself. Love it. But then listen to this. He goes on. But with us, the presence has been necessary. The eye, the voice, the hand. Whereas Jesus Christ has influenced and commanded his subjects without his bodily presence for 1,800 years. Wow. So Napoleon, with all of his ego, still, uh, you know, he, he was one who worshipped power and the, the sway of men, and he saw that Jesus could do that far greater than he could. That's what we're getting at here. We haven't seen Jesus, and yet we love him. Our lives are directed by him. So, uh, though you do not see him now, back to verse 8, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory. 
So there again, Peter says, you have joy now before seeing him. And it's an inexpressible kind of joy. We, we can't put it into words, even. The, the greatness that we have been given. It, uh, it reminds me again of Psalm 126, where we started. When we came back from, uh, from the ex- exile, we were like those who dream. Our mouths filled with laughter. Gives you that idea. I don't even know how to express this. Well, and that inexpressible joy is because we are receiving this, our salvation. The outcome of our faith, the salvation of your souls. And Peter here mentions the soul, I think, because our soul is the first to go to Jesus at our death. When our trials are over, there's a sense of relief there. We, it's, it's where the, the slogan R.I.P. comes from originally. Rest in peace. When we die, we have our final rest. Uh, from sin, from temptation, from trials. So our suffering is going to be rewarded with joy in the end. Uh, this, this is something R.C. Sproul said this. He says, we've heard, we've heard so much skepticism about our future hope of glory that we hardly know what it tastes like anymore. I love that phrase. Can you taste the hope of glory? It's very important. Sometimes our theology gets in the way and we don't want to be escapist or have a a pie in the sky, by and by, we say, kind of theology. Well, that's okay. I I don't want to be escapist either. But we do need to maintain our hope for the future, that things are going to be different and better in the end. It's a great book on that, by the way. It's by Randy Elkhorn called Heaven. whole big thick book um, easy to read though it just called heaven all about heaven great place to start um, so this this hope this relief that we're looking for uh, 150 years ago in the south uh, on the plantations the slaves would sing as they worked they would sing songs like swing low sweet chariot coming for to carry me home a band of angels coming after me coming for to carry me home They were singing songs of hope because they were unjustly suffering. And so they looked to the future. Our suffering will be rewarded with more joy in the end. We're going to hear that well done, good and faithful servant. So I'll uh, close. I thought of this just this morning. Uh, The very end of the Chronicles of Narnia uh, ends. I don't know if I should spoil it, uh, but I'm going to just quote a little bit and you'll get the idea. Uh, Aslan speaks to the kids at the end when they're in the the new Narnia and he says there was a real accident. Your father and your mother and all of you are, as we used to call it, dead. The school semester is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. One of the last sentences in Narnia. It's a beautiful picture. We, we, we fear death. We are always afraid of death. But Aslan gives uh, children of uh, generations now a, a, a better hope. Uh, you are what we used to call dead. But, what, but the picture he gives is just a wonderful picture. The school, he calls it the term I translated for us. The school semester is over. I still remember going to school on the last day of school. That was always such a, a joyous day, right? Yay, this is it. 
no more school for the summer. That's kind of the feeling that uh, C.S. Lewis wanted to give when he, when he pointed us to our death and entering into heaven and glory. That's what it really is, a relief, a reward. So people of God, our trials are real, but we can look beyond them. There is an eternal weight of glory coming. God's good, even in sending such trials. They're purposeful. Uh, he's refining us. He's, he's strengthening uh, that which he values within us, drawing us closer to him. And we can expect that relief, that reward in the end. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, reminding us of uh, such precious truths. Uh, you are uh, taking us through difficulties. Uh, each of us has uh, their own burden that we are bearing in this room. And you have uh, called us into those for your own good purpose, uh, to test and to show the genuineness of our faith. Lord, help us uh, to look to you and to look to your coming reward when you return, when Jesus uh, comes again one day. Thank you, Lord, that we can look ahead to, to that day, uh, that you have given us uh, some glimpse of the joy to come. We ask, Heavenly Father, as we continue in our worship service, as we come to your table, uh, that we would see all that you send into our lives as uh, coming from your fatherly good hand. We pray all this in Christ's name. And we uh, praise and sing. shepherd I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to focus on the phrase, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I remember meeting a young couple at the hospital. Uh, their two-year-old had almost drowned and was fighting for her life in the ICU. And I walked in, I came into the lounge in the hospital, and the counter was stacked with pizzas that a friend had brought. They were just finishing up eating, eating the, the, the dinner, their dinner. And they commented to me that this was just the worst day of their lives, what had happened to their daughter. And I remember thinking, even on your worst day, you've got to eat or drink something. And in a sense, that's what this line in Psalm 23 means. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We are all sitting here with all of our troubles right in our face. Uh, we ought not to try to forget them during worship. Bring them to God. And what's going to win, darkness or light? Your current problems 
or Christ feeding you. We have strength for the journey here on this table. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.